This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined as always by legendary former Manchester United defender Paul Parker. Paul, how are you doing this week? I'm fine, to be perfectly honest, Wayne. I'm just a little bit worried. When I woke up this morning, I suddenly thought it was November and I've slept longer than what I should have done. What, why this out two months? Yeah, well, because of, I just want the weather. It's just abysmal. Really, I mean, I don't mean it was it was raining, but it just never. We're in August, and I'm just look. I just the rain was coming down. I just thought to myself, Christ, this, the season's moved on. It hasn't I think to myself it hasn't started yet? But I thought to myself, no, we're in November. This weather, it's madness. Yeah. Well, when you're in Manchester, you know what it's like. Rain every day, so it could be every season. <laughs> I suppose it was a little bit worse than usual over the weekend. It was pretty bad, um, yeah. but we went to. Um, I took the nephew to Old Trafford. He's been outside and he's seen the statues before, but we took him into the museum for the first time and uh, saw the pitch. I'll send you, um, <laughs> it's not one for the podcast, really, but I'll send you the video of him. He went to, when he saw the pitch for the first time, he was like, Whoa, like, yeah, what? well, just wait and see you watch again. Yeah, what was the crowd? On on um, Saturday, so we didn't obviously we didn't go to the game. We watched it. We just went for the tour yesterday. But for the game, they had the entire um, South Stand shut off, and so I think it was like twenty thousand under capacity. But it was a good crowd, nonetheless, mm. for the for the Everton game. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that in a moment. So if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. I uh, really appreciate that, and uh, feel free to get your questions in as well. Um, I'm, I'm working out how to get them asked as we go along um <laughs> sometimes get to it a little bit later than i should do but I, I, I get it in the end um podcast is brought to you in association with classic football shirts um you can get a 10 percent discount with them using tltd 10 at the checkout um a little bit of housekeeping check out the recent show videos on this channel um, there's a channel um a show on friday i should say with phil marsh and keen franey they talked about keen uh, for phil's days at united the car crash they suffered in 2004, I think it was, and his recovery and what the club did to help him and everything like that. Really incredible story for, for Phil. And uh, before I begin, today is also publication day for my book, or my book, the twins' book, Raphael and Fabio um, Sunshine Kids. So today, um, there's some extracts on the website um, where Fabio talks about the 2011 Champions League final. Rafa talks about the ra- rivalry with Liverpool, um, which obviously is always heated, going back to days even before Paul played. Had a special bitterness when the clubs were sort of, when United were trying to overtake the league titles when when Rafael was playing. Uh, it's, it's funny, Paul, talk about this from the start then, really. Not ha-ha funny, but um, how some players have certain games that stick with them. Obviously, Fabio, with the 2011 Champions League final, he's going to think like that because it's the biggest game of his career and he's thinking about, you know, how we lost it, how it could have gone better. Um, talked to Sammy McElroy quite frequently. He always talks about the League Cup semi-final against Norwich in 1975. Um, so they were in Division 2, but he talks about that as one of the biggest dis- disappointments, annoyances of his career. I'm just wondering, what, from your time at United, is there any defeats or setbacks that stick with you that perhaps might surprise some people? I mean, Galatasaray seems like it's an obvious choice. The... 94 League Cup semi uh, final, sorry, because obviously that would have been the first team to be a domestic treble. Um, Liverpool at the end of your first season, where we came close to winning the title. Is there any defeat or setback in, in that your time at United that sort of sticks out for you that um, 
perhaps you know might be a surprising choice for some. I don't think it'd be that surprising. I always won <clears throat> the one that sticks to me really was losing at home at QPR on New Year's Day. <clears throat> yeah, that one always sticks. Yes, one because it was a club I just left, and I think just just the whole day and things we we done things differently during the day leading up to the game. Um, there was changes made. I think the boss tried to utilise the squad as as he could. <laughs> 14, 50, 15 players. It is it, not kind of the manner in which it is today, but he's tried to do that. And what it done really was we, we lost a lot of strength, a lot of um, pace. And I think in the end of the day, if you was Queen's Park Rangers and you, I mean, you just suddenly saw the, t- saw the team sheet and you fancied your chances and they grabbed it and they grabbed it, <laughs> grabbed it really, really well, to be perfectly honest. And it's still talked about, even when I was there a few weeks back, they were, you know, when um, United played them and got beat at um, Loftus Road, you know, yeah. when it got to that, when the scoreline was 4 yeah. 1, you could hear something, they, they started singing it. Some of them started singing it there. So, um, and then I could, for some reason, I just felt that everyone was looking at me. I just felt that like every head had turned round and looked at me. Just, you know. Flashbacks. Uh, it was yeah. It's just it's just one of them ones, and you just you could have made. There's one that could have made a difference if we hadn't got beaten. Could we have gone on and won that last football league? You know. Yeah, yeah. A few people um, nursing a few hangovers that day as well. Seems New Year's Day. Mm. There you are. That's just one of those ones. I wish I could have thought of something happier at the moment in time. I'm blaming you for that. You dragged me to it, mine. Well, no, because it's not a happy thing, is it? Do you know, it's, it's like I'm saying, it's going to be one of those, um, it would be a setback, so it's going to be un, unnaturally um, sad. Yeah, I always, I, I, honestly, I would have thought you would have gone with the League Cups final in 94, you know, because we were so close to getting the treble, the domestic treble. Yeah, I mean, that one That one does come into it. It could have been something, it would have been a, it would have been a first as well yeah. for anyone to do it. And, but... Mm, not really, because I think we reaped the benefit of that because straight after that game, we played Liverpool at home. We won 1-0, if I remember right. Paul Wintz scored the winning goal. Could it have been a different story if we'd have won that League Cup going into that game? Yeah. You know, we, we didn't really, was, you know, we, we'd done all the usual bits after that game, getting beat, come back miserable on the train, and then bang, we were straight into a big game, which made a, which I think made a big difference to get it. He's, you know, the old adage is get it out of your system. We had to because he was playing Liverpool at home. And yeah. to lose a League Cup final and then lost, if we'd lost to Liverpool at home, the papers and media would have had a field day. They'd have been calling everything out. And But the performance we gave as well, I mean, the scoreline in, in the way flattered Liverpool because it was definitely, we should have won by more. But we yeah. just didn't. Yeah. It's just a poor performance on the day. The grass was really long, I must say, at Wembley as well. And everything that Villa hit went in, you know. Yeah. And even Ant- someone must have hit Andre because he went inside as well. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about the 94 season, the conclusion to that a little bit later because of some things I didn't ask you about last week. Um, before we get to United, um, the big news of the week has been a lot of transfer activity. Um, Jack Grealish going to Man City for £100 million, a player that we've talked about before, possibly going to United. Um, and Lionel Messi looks like he's still not 100% convinced he's going to 
properly leave Barcelona, but it looks 95% certain like he will go to Paris. Um, we'll start with Messi. I mean, I'd, like I say, it's a United show, but it's two big pieces of news, really. Um, Messi, I don't know, it's not really a perfect analogy, but it's like when your mum, if your mum remortgaged the house because you wanted £500 pocket money instead of £5, eventually she has to sell a house and you have to move out. And you can, at that point, you could probably afford to buy the house yourself. But you go, no, I'll just go to Paris instead. And that's the way that I look at it when I see Messi crying. I'm not saying that he should invest all his money into Barcelona, but I think, well, you've been a massive reason of why they're in this massive financial hole. And now you're upset that... I, I get the complications about extending the contract and, um, you know, yeah, you shouldn't say that you should play for free. Nobody's saying that, I don't think, seriously, but... I think it's a bit hypocritical considering the massive sums that he was on. And I'm not like digging out players for the wages that they earn because Barcelona chose to give him that money. But you know the old song and dance about how upset he was. Do you know he's earning astronomical sums compared to even what we would consider astronomical for the regular footballer. Um, his, his sums are extraordinary. And don't get me wrong, one of the two best players in the world. He he deserves to be paid as one of the two best players i just think when you look at it in in this kind of way well you kind of responsible for this mess not i'm not saying Messi's responsible but the massive financial problem is is sort of implicated in it in in a small way as a player um how, how do you see what's going on at barcelona because it's it's crazy really to think that it's ended up like this i i thought at some point they're just going to change the rules like you know, Spanish football has a tendency to do, but um, it looks very much like he's going to be off. The thing about it, though, I don't know if the actual Spanish league can lose Messi in this way. <clears throat> we know that at some point he's going to have to retire, but for them to lose a player of that calibre in this manner, I don't know if, that, if the league can seriously allow that. But then as well, I look at the league and what, what you just said is 100% right. But you can't blame the player. People want to give him things, you're going to grab it. I look yeah. at it. Why you got you got to look at Barcelona, and in saying could they have done? Could they have maybe been a bit different about it? Knowing how much he loved the club, did they have to keep doing that? And you question the league. All of a sudden now they're saying they're doing it now in this manner. You know, I don't know what the what the reason is behind that. Why have they suddenly now not allowing this after the, the years and years have gone on with all the deals, all the all the things that we've, rumours we've heard about Real Madrid, the way they've gone about, the way that in certain ways they've been government funded to bring mm. in players. You know, they still talk about now Di Stefano was a Barcelona player, but the, the government come in and stepped in and took him to Real Madrid. All those little things you hear about. And it is, it is underhand and somewhere along that you just, unlike you, I don't believe it's going to happen. I just, I just don't see somebody who's been involved with a club for so long, 20-odd years, 21 years, is suddenly just going to, you know, he's done what he's done, he's going to go and play maybe for PSG. I don't see how you can leave Barcelona and go and do that and go yeah. to PSG, in my opinion. If he's going to leave Barcelona, I would say, yep, OK. I'll find, even I would dip, find it difficult to relate to him not being a Barca player. But I still... Can't believe that Messi still would not want to give himself a bigger challenge, and that is to go and play in English football rather than go and play for PSG. 
Yeah. That's, that's, that's the bit for me. And for me, if he was going to go to France, and I always say, if you're going to give yourself a challenge in France, go and play for Marseille. That's the team, that's the team to go and play for with the hardcore fans. They're supported all over the country. You know, their fan base, you know, it steps outside of France. PSG doesn't really, to be perfectly honest. That's that's a challenge. PSG is money. So it's a strange one that because I always I agree with that sort of philosophy of footballers' career is short, and I don't blame like you said, Barcelona gonna offer him the money, he's gonna take it. And maybe that's the, the case with Paris. Paris are gonna offer him the money, he's gonna take it. But I do think like or maybe he even thinks that Paris with him and Neymar and Mbappe have got the best chance of winning the Champions League if that's the, the offer that's on the table for him because it looks like City aren't because they've given the number 10 shirt and thrown all that money at Grealish and they're still under this sort of FFP cloud. Talk to me what you think about Grealish because that's something that does implicate United a little bit more. Um, I look, I think, there's no doubt in his talent, but I don't think he's any better than Bernardo Silva. I don't think he's much better than Sterling. He's certainly not better than De Bruyne. And I, there's a part of me, and then this might be famous last words and come back to get me, but there's a little part of me that thinks this could well be like when, remember when Chelsea signed Shevchenko and they already had Drogba? And I think, hmm, do you really need him? Could that money have gone elsewhere? Not that I'm complaining because that's a problem for, for City, but... Um, like obviously a great player, um, not exactly you call a Pep player. Pep might improve him, but a strange one, and he seems to happen so fast. Paul, um, what, what do you make of that transfer? Yeah, I'd be interested where he's going to play him, first and foremost. Um, they're talking about Bernardo Silva going. I can I can relate to that because he didn't get a regular run. Mares was the more prominent player in that position. But Mares, you know, does score goals, does make goals, and can do the unexpected. Jack Grealish, I look at him, I think myself right. As you said, he's not really a Pep player. What's Pep going to do? Is Pep going to fine tune the ability he's got at this moment in time? Say he wants him to get in areas in the final third and run of players. But Pep will maybe say to him because <laughs> he's worked with Messi. He'll say, to, I think he's got to be saying to him, when someone touches you, stay on your feet, have an end product. You know, yeah. we're not just about getting free kicks all the time. We want you to go and assist and score goals as well. So you can do that by staying on your feet. He has to change that way, in my opinion. Pep is going to want him for that. It's not, you know, Man City ain't a team that suddenly get a player just to get free kicks to lump big balls in the box. Yeah. That's not what they're about. And even when I think about Messi was the only real dribbler that they had, but everyone knows that Messi would take two kicks to the knee, he'll take a knife in the belly, but he'll still try and keep go on and score a goal. So I know that he's got he'll have to change his um his ethos, I think, a little bit, Jack Grealish, to become a, a, a Pep Guardiola player. So it'd be an interesting one. It's one that I think everyone will be talking about how is Pep going to fit him in. Why did Pep go and sign him when he's already got a player in Mares in that position already? Or is he looking at the other side? And if you look at the other side and you're talking about maybe Foden and Sterling. Yeah. But then I read today and everyone's talking about Sterling being used as a makeaway to go to Spurs. Seems like now Sterling's going to talk about a new contract. So where is 
where is he going to play? They haven't got a centre forward at the moment in time. Sterling is not centre forward. Sterling yeah, is Sterling's just about doing a job on, on the left hand side, being predominantly right footed. You know, yeah. you know, I really don't know, but Pep Guardiola has proved himself. He's, you know, he knows how to improve players better than any other manager in, in the Premier League. So at this moment in time, I think everyone's looking for Jack Grealish to maybe have a little bit of a, a wobbly moment because he's going to have his game altered, his mindset altered in the way he plays to the way that Pep wants him to play for his team. So Jack Grealish might take a bit of time to, you know, he's a work in progress, as they say, and, and he just might improve as a better player by working under Pep. Yeah, I don't doubt that. I just think, is it is it going to make £100 million a difference to the City, who are already good? And I just look at it and I think, as a United fan, as one of the teams that we want to close the gap, I'm not going to say I'm relieved about the signing, but um, if they went, you know, like, obviously if they signed Kane, I think, oh, they're going to get a few goals. But even then, Kane over Aguero, I mean, five or ten goals difference, it's not really... You see where I'm coming from with that. It's not, <clears throat> it's not the um, statement signing that the money would dictate that it is. Do you, you see, mm. if you understand what I'm, I'm saying, like I look at Chelsea buying Lukaku and I think, oh, well, I wasn't impressed with Lukaku, but maybe I can sort of see what he would bring to that Chelsea side. Um, but but with Kane and, and with Grealish, I look at the players that City already had, and I just think, well, it is a little bit like City. Well, well when Bo- was, I'm pretty sure it was Guardiola who replaced Etu with Ibrahimovic, and Etu was much better for the Barcelona style, and Ibrahimovic just didn't suit it at all. I'm not, I'm not saying that Grealish or Kane would be like that, because I think they they, they fit the style of what City do um, a lot more than what Ibrahimovic did a bit. I still don't look at it. I think I think what I'm trying to say is that there's not a quarter of a billion improvement there that makes me worried that United are going to be left in the dust because I look at United, what United have done. I think, well, they've still only got to play 18 other teams apart from us. They can only collect the same amount of points. They've been hitting record numbers. The maximum amount of points you can get is 114. You know where I'm going with this. It's like there's only so much you can do. They're obviously going to drop points at some point unless they're the best ever team and and win everything. But I don't think it changes that much for United. Honestly, I really don't. Um, And I might be someone who's been a little bit optimistic with that. But I just look at it and I think, well, it's never about what City do. United's problem is accumulating as many points as they need to. Like Liverpool did. Like I've been saying this for the last couple of years and it's quite unpopular kind of follow what Liverpool have done because that's the best way to do it. Don't don't worry about what. Like the Chelsea team of 15 years ago, you don't really worry about what they're doing. You presume they're going to get 90 points or more and then you build on a team to do that yourself and then see see where it ends up. Because, I mean, that's all you can do, really. You can't match what City are doing. You can't go out and spend. We obviously couldn't do that, what they're doing. I'm not complaining, by the way. I'm just saying it's different. It's horses for courses. And is it, am I being too optimistic with that? Are you looking at the city team and thinking, well, with Grealish and with Kane, they just there's no point turning up this season? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get that. Yeah, I mean, but Harry Kane is not an Aguero. Aguero suited City <clears throat> in the manner that City played. The goals he scored 
Kane doesn't score those goals. Yeah. Not the kind of goals that Kane would go and score on a regular basis like Aguero did. So for him, for Kane to play, and the, the way Kane has been playing of late, they'll end up with just a team of midfield players because Kane has not wanted to go and play on the back line, on you know, on the front foot, looking to get in behind over the shoulder of people. He hasn't gone that way. So for them to go out and spend a hundred million plus, by the way, because there's no way that Lee, um, Daniel Levy's going to say, "Oh, hundred million's fine," because he's going to mm. look at Grealish and say. You sign Grealish from Aston Villa for 100, 100 million. He's not a regular goal scorer. Tell me how you can relate to him in costings to Harry Kane, who keeps, you know, he was finishing top or second in scoring goals for God knows how many seasons. Scored, you know, he's almost going to be, maybe become England's record goal scorer. It's going to cost you 140 minimum. Yeah. So Especially the game of the last two or three years, who dropped so deep. Yeah, he's dropping far too deep. He's getting a lot of injuries as well. You have to. They're, they're not. You can't. You just. They're not going to spend that money, City. I cannot see them doing it. It'd be more beneficial for them to to go for Messi and bring Messi in. Look what look what PSG are paying. Plus, you know, he knows Pep. He might drop a little bit to go and play for him. At, you know, his last whole hurrah with someone who he respects. You think if you sign him as a man, you sign him as a Man City player, what you can get in return back on his wages because of the amount of shirts and all that go with him would be absolutely incredible, mm. you know. And even for City, they might even sell out properly then at home rather, rather than putting tickets up on general sale already. <laughs> I don't know. Um, pigs might fly. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know with that one. Do you know? I always, the Messi and Guardiola thing, you would presume that they know each other inside out. So you know that that dialogue's been happening. Um, so whatever, maybe it's a sort of cautiousness from City knowing that, you know, they're being investigated, well, investigated, for, for want of a better word. People are looking at what they're doing and they're very sort of sceptical about it. Um, so maybe adding Messi on top of that would be just too much uh, for, for even them to sort of deal with. Whereas Paris, for whatever reason, um, I think that they can add him on top of Neymar and Mbappe, who, who when they arrived, cost 400 million between them, which is just, well, what can you do? Um, maybe maybe they'll win the French League this time around. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's talk about United then. Being 20 minutes in, we haven't really done that. United um, played Everton last preseason game. Um, I know you were out and about on Saturday, so you might not have seen much of it, but. Um, Greenwood getting in their goals, which is always good. Um, he needs to keep that confidence going, especially since he's come back in. Maguire with a thumping header, which we haven't seen enough of, and hopefully we might see a little bit more of that if Varane's taking up other sort of spaces in the box. And Fernandez's free kick was sensational. I think Dallow's header was pretty good as well, so all in all, a good day's work. I think that the major thing for me, not so much the things that... We, we know Fernandez really needed rest, so hopefully he'll benefit from that. I think for me, it's having Greenwood in a confident vein of form, really, because he's going to be used. We don't quite know where Ollie's going to put him in that front line yet. So it's really important that Greenwood, you said he looked lively at QPR and people were talking about him, the buzz was about him, and yeah, to get on the score sheet, that's, I think, probably taking into account we haven't seen the new signings yet, apart from Tommy Eaton, who we already knew about. Um, it's, the Major plus from preseason is going to be Greenwood, right? 
Oh, yeah, without a doubt. But for me, I'm waiting to see, <clears throat> which I think is something that should be sorted out, first and foremost, and actually said, quoted, make it factual, is who's going to be number one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that can't be left open, Wayne, because that's just going to cause too much too much stories, too too many opinions. You need to put that to bed and then everyone else then will wait and see the you know, wait and see the repercussions of it, what happens then to to the goalkeepers. But he needs to do that. He can't just play and just get ifs and buts and for people to make their own mind up and then start making up their own agenda. You know, in that sense you just want him only to be strong and come out and say that, as any good manager would do to be in that position. It doesn't matter if you've spoken to him privately. If he has spoken to him privately and already told him, I think he has to pull it out there to everyone and let everyone know that. So he's not going to be hit with questions all the time when a goalkeeper makes a mistake. Difficult one for him. I mean, the, I, I think Henderson's still unwell, so De Gea's going to start on Saturday. Do you think that that muddies the water somewhat? Because, I mean, let's say that he's picked Henderson. Having that conversation two or three games into the season is going to be quite difficult. You know, if, if De Gea starts well and doesn't make any mistakes, or even if he does make a mistake, do you know what I mean? Because Oli's such a patient guy. We know that. We've seen that with like Lindelof, no matter what he did last season. He, he was Teflon. He was back in the side the next week. Um, and he's, he's kind of like that. No, not, not with the goalkeepers, but if he has made a decision on Anderson to be number one, do you think that this is a sort of muddy in the waters kind of thing again? Because because he's going to be in that situation where De Gea could do well, he could do badly, and it, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of favouring De Gea, but I'm thinking if most people, as I, I presume, think it's time for Anderson, and I can see why, I'm not saying it's an easy decision, um, it's going to make it a, sort of a bit of a mess. He's, he's, by and large, handled it quite well so far, but because of Anderson being unwell, it complicates it a little bit. It does in certain ways, but if he has made Henderson his number one and he gets himself back, then he's going to have to bring him straight back in. He can't yeah. just say, oh, well, De Gea's doing, all, you know, doing well, I don't want to change it, because he's not maybe going to stand for that. And it might cause a little bit of discontent, you know, so, and it's about loyalties, really, and standing by what you say. And, and a lot of the players will mostly all know, because if he has said that, this is all, you know, ifs and buts at the moment, but they, players talk, so then straight away, oh, the manager hasn't stood by what he said. And then straight yeah. away, every player then would be worried, of, you know, is he telling me the truth? So you can't have that. Not in today's football, you can't have that. Because the yeah. players are that, in certain ways, quite mentally fragile. That will, that will go against him as a manager. Especially if they hit a little bit of a patch, it, it could fall apart. In that sense, that's what happens. So he needs really, if he, if he said he's number, then he's going to have to stick by it in that way. It doesn't matter how well David does, he's going to have to stick by what he said because the other players will know and, they, and he can't afford for them to see him as not somebody who stands by his word, regardless of form. No, yeah. And, and to be fair, if there's one thing we've definitely been consistent on, even against our own opinion, is that... Um, all his man management and decisions in this kind of vein have usually been spot on. No, I'm not saying that everyone's always right, but for the harmony of the squad and, and the consistency of the squad, he's generally got it right. So um, I, I can back him to make the right decision, whether or not it's the hero Henderson, do you know what I mean? If he, if he makes a decision and, and, like you said, shows that conviction, 
um, it can only be a good thing, and hopefully it'll be the right choice as well. Um, Leeds, then, are going to be the opponents on opening day. They've had a bit of a miserable pre-season, but I don't think they'll be that bothered about that. Six games, I think they've had and lost three of them. Um, they only won the first one against Geisley, so it's been a pretty miserable pre-season, but they haven't had really any big changes from last season. A couple of uh, players that I don't really know much about have been signed for them. Um, they won't be looking at pre-season. They'll be looking at the way that they finished the previous season, which was like one defeat in the last 10 games or something to finish ninth, really strong into the season. It's a complicated thing. It's the second season back in the top flight. A lot of teams are going to be more preparing for their, type, um, for their style of play, but, you know, they're going to have to be a little bit more cautious than they were at Old Trafford, you would think, especially with the fans there. They're not going to want to see them ship a lot of goals now they're watching them play at Old Trafford. Um, but then again, you say that, and Bielsa's fairly rigid with what he does. He, you know, he sticks to what he's going to do. You know, they, they might well be open and, and be happy to sort of see United play in front of them again. Um, how would you see this one going? It's, 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 do you know what, considering everything, it's a, a pretty good game to open the season, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a really good game for United to start playing. <clears throat> the fans are going to be on a high anyway because they're going to be back in their numbers and to play Leeds as well. There's no worries about it being a good atmosphere. It's a, it's a, it's a big game for Leeds. You know, it's a bigger game for Leeds than when it is in United. Leeds treat this as their big game. This is getting the first thing they want to talk about, wanted to talk about getting back in the Premier League was playing Manchester United. And yeah. it's all about playing Manchester United at Ellen Road. That's the one. That is the fireworks game, that one. That is crazy. Absolutely crazy. Something I never thought I'd witness. I never knew about the rivalry when I first arrived 30 years ago <coughs> was when yeah. I signed for United. So this fixture just really caught me, shocked me. The hate between them. So, But the United fans, of course, know about it. And this game is still seen as a big one. First game of the season, it's even bigger. United are not, I don't think they're going to be as fortunate to catch them as cold as they did last time, as much as they, what they'd done United in that game, Leeds responded reasonably well. They didn't panic, didn't change their way. As you said, the manager's stubborn. He knows what he wants from his players. And they had a couple of moments in that second half to get themselves back into the game because they played their way and United really didn't, didn't really get it right in the second half in certain ways. But they still, at the end of the, end of the day, the game was won the moment they got that two-goal advantage. Yeah. They haven't made a lot of changes. We know that they lead, they play kind of wide open. They've got you know they've made a change at left back. Now bringing in the lad from Barcelona, he's coming now. Yeah, he's going to be yeah, yeah. yeah, but he's going to be mainly a little bit more attack orientated. As what I saw him at Barca, he's not the most sturdiest of defenders, but he's a good footballer. So it's just one of them ones. Leeds, I mean, I enjoyed watching Leeds play. I have to say that I saw them play a few times down here in London and they were, they were good to watch, really good to watch what they try and do and the, the, effort, the effort they put into it and the manager demands that. And there's no backbiting or anything with the players. They, they do it. They seem like they enjoy doing it as well. So this is a good game for United to be going into. One that if they can get the right kind of performance with a win as well, will get people thinking that this could be their season. Really, just with the signings, and we don't know if there's going to be any more yet, but 
it's there at this moment in time. This is going to be, for me, I'm really looking forward to seeing a very, <clears throat> again, another open season, but in the right way, because there's going to be fans in the stadium. Yeah. Um, you mentioned then the Varane and Sancho. Varane still not rubber stamped, but you would presume that even while we're on here, it could be announced because they let Twanzebe go to Villa yesterday on loan. So it looks pretty much like, you know, they're going to sign, that's going to be announced anytime. And um, there's been problems with the visa and everything like that because of Brexit and sort of, which is a bit strange considering, you know, they're a football club and you would have thought that they've got these all ironed out before, <laughs> before um, yeah. it balls being kicked in the season. But they could be, in, in the team for, for Saturday and, and there's been some talk that they'll be on, on the bench and everything like that. But what do you think? And this You've mentioned the lad from Barcelona playing at left-back. He's going to be making his debut. Let's presume that he does make his debut there. Is it not ideal to sort of throw Sancho in from the start, to throw Varane in from, Varane in from the start? Because what you're basically doing is you're saying, you know, run on momentum. You're in front of the fans for the first time. You know, everyone's on the sort of same thing. You can have the adrenaline there of playing in front of the club. You're not going to be asked to play in a couple of days again. You're going to have a few days off. So mm. it's an ideal occasion to sort of go out there, flex your muscles a little bit, and sort of run on that adrenaline in front of the fans for the first time, rather than bringing them in from the bench. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that um, the players, I mean, are going to want to, play in the first going to want to play especially at Old Trafford and in themselves they would know in themselves that Leeds United it's a big game they mostly yeah. wouldn't know about the rivalry maybe Sancho might do to a point but it's still Leeds and it's still a big game I, I don't know so much about Varane because of the games that he played during the Euros or whatever but I look at Sancho and he played no minutes He's, he didn't play anything you mm -hmm. know didn't do anything he warmed up a lot of times but I don't see there's any reason why he cannot start the game. I'd, I'd, I'd find it, it, it baffles me what's going on now. It seems like where before, where there was, where you really needed to be fit because you were playing, you were playing to, to, to pay a mortgage. Um, that you, you'd go, you know, you'd run through fires just on hot coals just to make sure you played in every game. Where now they, they get so much money, but they play less football. You know, because they get tired or they're worried about this and worried about that. Sounds like it would be perfect for him, shouldn't it? Really, because yeah. like he's had a summer steam fit. Yeah, yeah, he, he should be re he should be there, ready to go and buzzing to go. And the opportunity to run out in a Manchester United shirt in a game like this, where he knows that everyone is going to be interested in it and want, you know, and, and wants to and wants to see this game. And I turned down the game to make sure that I could do this game. Because yeah. I knew that it was, you know, it's, it's going to be something to talk about. So I wanted to make sure that I was doing this game on the first game of the season. So I'm sure Sancho's going to want to play in it for his own, his own ego. And the, you know what what happens? Everything that goes with this game, it's a game where you want to get in, make your mark, and it's something that people don't forget if you go and do it in the game against Leeds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned earlier about the fans being back, and yeah, absolutely. Um, is the biggest thing of the game. Actually, you know, the fans are going to be back in the stadium for it. And I do want to give a little shout out to some of the fans who've done a lot of great work behind the scenes. Obviously, the end of season protests last time round instigated a lot of conversations between the club and fans. Um, there are already plans in there to put the rail seating in, you know, for safe standards. So that's going to be trialled, um, which is going to be great to see. Um, hopefully that works out well. And also some fans um, lobbying on the... Um, 
you know the fans forums and everything like that there's cheaper beer in the ground now which is i know it's not it doesn't sound like a big thing but it is a big thing for the fans you know um and a lot of people working to do that knowing that they're going to get criticism for it being in dialogue with the owners but that's the point of what we're trying to that's the point of this if you can't convince them to sell get dialogue for a better experience for the fans and that's what they're doing um, and hopefully, you know, maybe an extra beer. Not that you need it for, for a game against Leeds, but an extra beer before kickoff. Just thank God it's a 12.45 and not, not a 5 o'clock one. So give them more time to get riled up for it. Um, yeah, looking forward to that. It's a great game to open the season. Um, we were talking, like I said at the start of the podcast, we were talking about 93-94 last week, and there were some things that I didn't talk about, which I want to pick Paul's brains on. Um, the FA Cup run. We talked about the number of red cards playing at Blackburn without Cantona losing 2 0. We were 1 0 down and you came off for Chucky in that. Uh, presumably, you're already struggling with the injury at that point because we were chasing the result. And Fergie looked at that and obviously thought, oh, bring Chucky on, try and get the, the goal. As soon as he came on, we, scored, we conceded a second. Um, but then you missed the game on Monday. And you've always talked about this bomb, but on the audio pod. So let's get the story for. For this one because we had two games against Oldham. We had the Easter Monday game and then we had the semi-final on the Saturday or Sunday. I can't remember which one. But you had basically two games against Oldham in a week and you missed the, the league game on Easter Monday which you were particularly annoyed about because you played every game up until that point. I mean, you look at the stats for that season. Every game in the league, I should say, um, obviously rested for a couple of the League Cup games as Fergie would rotate in the earlier, uh, in the earlier rounds. Um, like you said about playing every game, it's one of those badges of honour for, for those players, wasn't it, really? You want to be show that you're durable, show that you can stand up to a challenge and, and sort of complete the league season was like a an achievement in itself. Yeah, I was I was, I was was saving, to be perfectly honest, because it was my birthday as well. But, um, a lot of people come up from London because I had something on, they had something on that day as well, and I was just so... You know, I'm desperate to play. And then when the boss done what he done and left me out, I was fuming, absolutely fuming. I don't think I've ever been that way before in that situation because I was all geared up to play. He hadn't said a word to me the day before. I went in as normal <clears throat> into a, um, Old Trafford, arrived three hours before kickoff because we used to meet then and have something to eat in the grill room, um, in the ground. And then I just got in the dressing room, but he just said that. No, no great reason. Um, and I was fuming that I missed it, you know, that I missed that that, op- that game. It was because we were getting, as you know, we were getting closer and closer to achieving something. So you just don't want to miss games. You want to be there. You want everything that goes with it after it. Especially after losing the big game a couple of days before. Like you, you're in that mode to sort of put it right as well. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it, was, it wasn't great. Yeah, the, the, that game lose that game and then going into this game and then being left out, it, it, it does make you think a little bit negative about, oh, you to blame, you know, are you to blame everything that's going with it? I was, had me, you know, a little bit when my ankle wasn't right in certain ways, you know, he said he was resting me, was was he using that as an excuse to say that I was that poor that he's, you know, doing that? But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it wasn't about that. There was a, a method in what he'd done um, I played the next game and so it went but it was just that moment just playing at Old Trafford at that moment it was just you know it was wall to wall people 
maybe more in there than what there maybe should have been. It was the bit that going in, everything that leads up on the match day at Old Trafford is something that only the only people can explain it are players. Of that, yeah. when you when you, but it's not the same anymore as what it used to be. We used to drive in in our own cars, yeah. all coming at different, all arriving around about midday from prior to midday, I should say. And it was a different way, and every player felt that there was all that. You know, you you'd be there to sign something, and you think, great, yeah, can you sign that, Paul? And all of a sudden, Giggsy would turn up and say, sorry, Giggsy's come. I'm not interested, Paul. I want Giggsy. <laughs> It was all that kind of stuff going on. Now they arrive on a team bus. People can't get people can't get near them anymore. So that has gone now, Wayne. To be honest, but yeah. I think that's the worst it's been for me about being left out again because I wasn't used to it. I was always used, always knew I was always going to be playing Fulham, QPR. I come to United, started started a regular first. You know, played and we played in my first game, my first season, and that's the way it always always been. And so yeah. it's hard to hard to understand. If I was in today's game, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it just being the way it's done today. I'd want to play in every single game. Yeah, on your birthday as well. That's, that's yeah. Uh, the boss uh, showing no sentiment with that one. He did play in the next one though, and like we were talking about it. I think off air last week, and came off just before the the final whistle really for for Nicky, but. But played a part in the equaliser against Stoldham. What a goal that was! Um, and it was one of those Mark only Mark could score, really, wasn't it? You know, like on the stretch, scoring like that. What was it like watching that scene down as a player? You know, thinking like we're in the last minute, we've not really got a chance here. Alden were defending really well. He was going to take a goal like that to get us um, into the replay. Well, um, well it was more about mine, about the fact I'd come off and you just. Just the negative thoughts when you come off. I come off, and it, it was you feel bad because there's a reason why he's made the substitution. Yeah, you, you know, you got your own reasons. He's got his, but my side of it is going to be different to his side of it. I'm sure, or I know. Um, but when it did go in, even I jumped. Yeah. You couldn't, couldn't, you know, it was just one of those moments because you just you just looking. You look at the negative side of it. Sparky doesn't score that goal, and we, you know, we could have, you know, on the verge of a double, and then, but we we lose out in a double, get into the final because Oldham Athletic, yeah, stopped us. It's something you wouldn't want to be talking about 10, 20, 30 years down the line, would you? Why United didn't win a double in '93, '94? Because yeah. because no, dis- trying my best not to be disrespectful, but the mighty Oldham Athletic stopped you doing it. It just you just think you're thinking about you know about that really. It's like me thinking about it. we'd been beaten by Cameroon that time. Yeah. In the, you know that what you know that's that's the kind of thing. That's where it was. So for Sparky to go and do that, and like you said, only only Mark Hughes can do that. You know there was Sparky. Was that in the first season when we played Liverpool at home, two 0 down, and Sparky scores the equaliser? Is that right? The first Premier League season, yeah. yeah. First Premier League season, Sparky scores equaliser. So um, it's it's just one of those things that he does. He scores <clears throat> the most awkward goals, which no one else could do. To be perfectly honest, he had this incredible technique, Sparky, which I don't think your people will ever see again. Yeah, just the way he played. A person, his volume was yeah. out, out of his world. Yeah, that someone of his stature and everything about him, he, you know, Sparky was a bruiser without a shadow of a doubt. 
but he had so much ability. It was incredible what he could do, what he could do with the football, and what he, you know, and what he wanted to do. And if it didn't work out, you know, he's one of them. He'd want to go and do it again because he knew he could do it. And so many times you, you see the boss was sparking, the boss would get the ump with him because he's doing this and doing that, and then he'll pull out an incredible like a chip or something. Can you remember the game when we played Charlton Athletic at home? Another another game where I had to come off because Peter Schmeichel got sent off. Yeah, that was early in the cup room. Yeah. yeah. And Sparky ended up having to play central midfield. Yeah. And he was pinging balls about like Glenn yeah. Hoddle. And I mean, when I'm saying pinging balls out, they were like passing, passing with progression, I call it. It wasn't just balls out just into space for someone to go, oh, he was, he was incredible what he was doing. He absolute, and he loved it, Sparky. And you just suddenly saw what a great all-round player he was, Mark Hughes. Wasn't just a centre-forward who every set and a half wanted to kick to death. He, yeah. And he wanted to kick them to death as well. He was an incredible footballer and more importantly, he was an incredible goal scorer. Yeah, he, um, he did when he went to Chelsea and then Southampton, he played a lot of his last games in midfield, didn't he? So, and yeah, yeah he, he's never going to um, find him going missing on a, on a football pitch. That was for no. sure. He said, he said a great word there, awkward, because that's what he was like. He, he really was an awkward player um, and scored a lot of awkward goals. Um, yeah. But he also had that, the thing what about you, I know he's, he's because of what he, you know, he went on to manage C and he had a, a bit of a rival with, with Fergie afterwards, but he also had a, a good respect with Fergie. And I think when he was, he went to QPR after, um, after City and Fergie still sent him a few players down. I think Fabio went down to Hughes on loan. Mm-hmm. So you had um, that kind of thing. A lot of people kind of turned against Mark Hughes. They, you know, they think like you know, like Peter Schmeichel went to see and then Paul Ince went to Liverpool, and they look at them and say, "Oh, well, they sort of chose a different club." I still look at Hughes with tremendous respect and um, sort of the that feeling that I get from him. Was that he was, you know, perhaps not in a even a way that Cantona didn't have. Like he had this sort of sense of occasion and timing, like the rescue act. Like Cantona was like the, the main event, but Mark was like the the rescue act. Whenever you needed something, he'd be there, like almost like destiny had sort of put him there. And no better occasion than than the Oldham one. Um, I think Sparky Sparky's one of those players that you could guarantee. Whenever it was a big game, you'd always put your money on St. Mark Hughes to perform. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's what it was all about, and that's what the that's what the boss would have said about him. He always says to the boss one of the wor- words he always used to use. Uh, <clears throat> he always expected his big players to perform in big games. He said that's the reason why they're at Manchester United, and that's the reason why I brought them to Manchester United to play in big games because United had big games. Yeah, and the, the replay. Sorry, the, the replay. You you. Wipe the floor with Oldham, um, got to the final. Um, but the biggest thing about that was well, I don't think a lot of people realise when they look back, you can look back at it and the history records will tell you what happened and on what day, what would have happened if you know it didn't if you lost against Oldham, you would have gone to Leeds that Wednesday. You were talking about playing Liverpool after the cup final, mm. you would have gone to Leeds on that Wednesday, and Cantona would have still been suspended and you would have all been knackered from Sunday. A little bit annoyed that you know they lost in that way as well. So um, that game against Leeds was rescheduled to later in the season, and Hughes was unbelievable that night. That was one game. Kanchelskis and Giggs both scored, but we won two 0 and, and Hughes played 
one of his best ever games. I think he set both of the goals up. He was just that was one of those games where he said like you know he just he was like the beacon. And you know like a lot of players would shrink under that in, in that kind of atmosphere. He just sort of like reveled in it, didn't he? It was like you know give me that occasion and give me the give me the hostility. It makes me bigger. It's, it's such a strange thing. Um, I loved him. I loved Spock. He was really brilliant. One of my favourites when. Um, well, how can he not be when he's scoring goals like that? You know, it's an um, incredible thing. Um, yeah, I, I guess then the last thing to do is this is our pre-season warm-up. Um, stick, stick our necks out, not for the title um, or, or predictions on what we're going to do, but see what we think would be a, a successful season for Oli, you know, as, as progression. You know, last season, I think we could both agree there was progression. We got to second, we got to a cup final. Um, things seem to be more settled as a club than they were, well certainly at the start of the season it seemed uh, very much in disarray I remember after the Spurs game I'm pretty sure I said it to you a couple of times that i pretty certain it was a matter of when and not if Oli was going to get the sack, I didn't think he, he was going to see the season out but he is, he's, he did and he's going to be in the, the hot seat for this season because he's got the new contracts and everything like that Um as far as progression for you, um, what, what do you think? Would, if you look at the end of the season, next May, what do you think is going to represent a good season for Oli? And United, for that matter. A good season for Oli is to win a trophy. He has to. I think there's too many people now who are throwing it out now. They're judging him on winning a trophy. They're not about about being a good manager and managing, you know, managing Manchester United. It's about winning a trophy. That's how everything works in today you're rubbish if you don't win a trophy even though there's so few trophies to win in football people expect you to go and win one they, they won't take in take in how difficult it is to go and do that when there's other things in between because there's other things to play for they just take it win a trophy so until he does that then it will shut it will shut down a few of them quite a few of them but for me guaranteed yes he has to Finish. He has to be in the Champions League again, but it's about not just waiting to the final six games. It's about cementing it a lot better and showing more consistency. And when the big games come up, like they did to Sheffield United at home last last season, and when the Everton, when you get yourself a two-goal advantage, you don't give those games away, especially to Everton. You don't do that at home. You yeah. can't do it. And those they're the ones that matter. Making the right substitutions at the right times, which everyone will always talk about, but you just look at things. And I I personally think to finish second in the league is not a bad thing. To finish no lower than second, I think I, I would I would question that to be perfectly honest. I think they should they should finish no second no lower than second in, yeah. this, in the Premier League. Don't ask me who's gonna to finish top, but I'm just looking at something you set a stall out and I think to finish no second I think they finished second last season maybe more by default by the way the league was but I think this is a season where you have to really judge Oli and what he does now because yeah. everyone's there to say something to him and and a lot of players now be interesting to judge a lot certain players the ones who've done well see how they handle this how does Fernandez handle this challenge now of playing in front of the crowd when he knows that he's been adored from TV sets. Now they're going to be there. Are they? Are they actually going? To, 
are they actually going to love him and get him in that lot and put him there with try and put him there with Eric again because they're seeing him live and seeing he can perform when it really matters in front of them and and in the big games. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I think um, with Chelsea um, strengthening and Liverpool, obviously, I'm going to have players back and, and and strengthening their team as well. That finishing second, whilst not looking like it's progression, I, I think like accumulating more points, like you said, not throwing the silly points away and, and sort of whether or not it represents a title race, depending on what City do, um, is, is one thing. But I think staying in front of um, Chelsea and Liverpool will be a big thing because obviously they had mixed seasons last time around with Chelsea with the Champions League on high. And we could say that we're in the mix of that club, so to finish second would be um, a thing. But yeah, I'm with you winning a trophy. And with it being United, probably an FA Cup rather than a League Cup. Because I can imagine that if you get to the end of the season and Ollie's won a League Cup and finished third, People will say that we've we've gone backwards, um, mm. but you know we'll see we'll see. Um, everything's always moving. Um, to finish on this uh, this week, Ben Allen did um, just make a comment. Want to um, make sure that we get to that. Um, do you think Eric and Mark are giving the respect that they're due as a combination, albeit unorthodox? This is a really good question, really, because I, I would agree with that, and I think. Everyone knows, like, I wrote a book on Canton Harville. He's one of my favourite, well, he was my favourite ever player. Um, but obviously, he needed you lot around him. He needed that stage to make him better as well. And, you know, Mark was obviously the perfect partner for him more than anyone at United. Um, after, you know, like, I know he played with Scholes and he played with Andy Cole, but I think he never played as well as he, you know, the, the vibrancy and the intellect between him and, and Mark was just perfect for each other wasn't it they, I mean and, and to be fair Cantona improved Hughes as well because for that two years um, where they were playing together um, regularly um, 92 to, to 94 Hughes probably played the best that he ever played you never saw a 30 year old player improve before but um, they, they certainly did didn't they they were a great combination yeah I'm sure we mentioned this last time we t- I brought it up about those two playing together but everything you said there is is absolutely correct because he was spark- they both were good foils for each other. Sparky was the strength and the focal point. Eric come in and Eric enjoyed the fact that he had someone to play off, somebody who would who could take things away from him. And Sparky's movement made a difference for Eric. And Eric found he could run around and make those runs around Sparky. And I think it was just mutual respect in the end. And even when you we was out, you know, socially in certain ways, those two had a way of like having conversations, you know, with Eric, it was, Eric really, really, you know, he understood delivering was a bit diff- difficult in certain ways, especially yeah. when, you're, when you're a mixture of people from um, all over the country at that given time, well, you know, you had Big Pete and you had Andre, that side of it, but players from all, all over the country. Um, so it was difficult for Eric to understand, but the one thing is they got on that pitch together and they respected each other. They, um, they, you know, there was no one worried about hogging the limelight or anything like that. They both helped each other. Both of them were great team players, and everyone knows with Sparky's, if you knock Sparky a bad ball, he will try and at least make it into an average ball, whatever. whatever. And, and but he would let you know it, and yeah, and, and he would let you know that while Eric would give you the eyes if you knocked him a bad ball. 
but if Eric knocked you a bad ball, he couldn't apologise quick enough. And you'd yeah. be virtually saying to Eric, just get on with the game. But please don't try and make a tackle. Don't try and <laughs> win it back. But I was fortunate enough to play with those two. And in what Ben's saying, were they given enough credit? No, they wasn't. They don't really get talked about. There should be something out. There should be a montages of the things that those two done together. Not always leading to goals, but it's just the movement, the way, you know, Sparky, you know, you could use Sparky and Sparky were playing triangles and play yeah. one-twos around. And they, there should be something like that showing that what those two done together with their movement, in you know, in that bit. Well, Sparky had been missing that in the previous previous season. He, he was, he, you know, he thoroughly enjoyed that season and then the season after playing with Eric. You could see it, and as you said, Sparky improved. He improved because he had someone closer to him who, who, who improvised as well as Sparky wanted to. He enjoyed that. I don't, and Eric, that's what Eric. One of the things Eric brought, he brought improvisation into things. Where before Pip goes, he's made a silly run, but when you got somebody who somehow managed to bend his foot in all different directions to put a ball into an area where other people couldn't, then it wasn't just improvised or imp improvisation. Then yeah. that was just it was. It was something maybe sometimes more than that, but where before someone make a run, it was called a bad run because of the fact that the person couldn't deliver. And that's not about that person. Eric was a maverick, wasn't he, really, in the way he was. And it's as, yeah. you know, it's as simple as that. And there's only so few, so few of them in certain times in football. And at that time, Eric was that player. And mm -hmm. someone was talking about me the other day, and I'm, <clears throat> I turn around and you talk this. And they mentioned players. I said, well, I mentioned about Eric. And I said, you take Eric in his homeland, he's nowhere near the player that he, he was in England. He's, you know, he's adored in England, even for fans who are not Manchester United. They, they just love watching Eric play. People turned up at games because they wanted to see Eric play at their local grounds. You know, in France, people didn't really, you know, oh, you know, he was a problem. So like that, while in England, people still talk about him now. You sit there, we see him in adverts, and most people see him in adverts, they relate to why he's doing that advert. Yeah, do you know, um, while we're talking about Eric, it's a good thing um, Paul and I are both on. We, Sky released a podcast last week, Sky Sports, and I'll drop it in the description, actually, um, that Paul and I were both on last year talking about Eric. Um, is it actually really good production, what they did with that? Um, so, yeah, check out, oh, not just Paul and I, there's um, different people, Hayley McQueen's on there. Uh, Julian Lawrence, um, French journalist as well, Barney from from Red News. Um, I think Andy Cole is also in on the podcast as well. So, so some few people let's talk about um, that. Yeah, you, you mentioned it perfectly. Um, yeah. That's the thing with those kind of partnerships in those days. They used to have like they used to say little and large were the the way to go. You know, you'd have Chapman at Leeds um, before with Cannon, and he just wasn't the, the fit wasn't right when you watched them play because Cannon wouldn't run onto balls. Like, and Chapman would flick them on. And he, I think Chapman was learning that you have to actually bring him into the play. Um, but that's what uh, made Hughes so, because he was so different. That's probably why, you know, they were so different in terms of the kind of, you know, like you'd find a number 10 who would run onto a ball. But Cannonall wasn't that player. And that's why they were so, um, so good for that team. Um, but yeah. And, Great indulgence for me as always to go back into that, and I will. I'll probably talk about it next week as well. Um, <laughs> I, I make no apologies for doing so. Um, I'm allowed to have some nostalgic indulgence from time to time. Um, that is it for this week, guys. We will be back next week to talk about the Leeds game. Um, hopefully, and talk about a win. 
Remember TOTD10 for a 10% discount with classic football shirts. Please leave us a nice review or rating on Apple Podcasts if you're listening on, on the audio version. And please like and subscribe if you are watching on YouTube. Um, we will be back next week. Stay safe, stay well, and thanks for listening and watching.